0: Hi there, welcome to Bond Investment Mentor. I'm your host, Chris Nelson, and this is a podcast dedicated to helping community financial institutions master the art of fixed income investments. If you're working for a community bank or a credit union and you have responsibilities for the investment portfolio, you've come to the right place. I'll be your personal investment guide as we help you boost your fixed income investment knowledge, level up your portfolio management skills, and help you gain the know-how you need to help your institution achieve its financial goals. In this episode, we're going to talk about what to do now that 2024 is here. We've had some wild conditions to deal with in the past couple of years, and who knows what's next, so it's time to prepare for whatever's ahead. I'm going to share with you a five-step process you can use to prepare yourself and your institution's investment portfolio as the year gets underway. So if you're ready to go, let's get started. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Bond Investment Mentor and Happy New Year. I guess I can get away with saying that one more time, right? I hope that you're doing well. In the most recent episodes, I was pleased to have the opportunity to talk with several friends and colleagues about looking back at 2023 and thinking about what's ahead for 2024 for community bankers and investment portfolios. In addition to investments, we also covered a wide range of topics in those episodes, including deposits and deposit pricing, asset liability management, and derivatives and hedging. If you didn't get a chance to listen to those episodes, I highly recommend going back to check them out. There are some great insights and perspectives in all of them, and I'm glad to have the chance to share those conversations with you. Today, we're going to continue discussing planning and preparations for 2024, but don't worry, there's no company involved this time, it's just you and me. I'm going to share with you an annual process that I used to use when I was managing my bank's investment portfolio to help me think about and prepare my investment approach. And as we go through it, I'll also share a few thoughts along the way to help us as we plan for the year ahead. But first, I have a couple of other items that I wanted to let you know about. Let's start with the latest from the bond markets. It has been an interesting few weeks for sure. And the changes in trends have shown how volatility is continuing to be a factor for those of us managing investment portfolios. You'll recall that we received the latest Fed rate decision back in mid-December. The FOMC voted unanimously to maintain the Fed funds rate in a range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. So they just held steady like they've been doing for a while. The committee also released its latest summary of economic projections, which includes the well-known dot plot of the committee members' forecasts for interest rates. The dot plot showed the consensus was for three quarter-point rate cuts during 2024. And as we know, Fed Chair Jerome Powell also commented after the FOMC meeting that monetary policy was likely at or near its peak. Well, the bond market's reaction to the meeting and Powell's comments was immediate, with Fed Funds Futures pricing in the first rate cut by the Fed in March. In addition, as the markets recalibrated their outlook, we've seen this classic bullish shift in the yield curve slope. The yield curve is still inverted, but the degree of inversion depends on how you measure it. The spread between two-year and 10-year treasuries at minus 16 points as I'm recording this is at its narrowest negative spread since it briefly hit that level last fall. Before that, we're talking more than a year since the yield curve has been this close to flat. Another measure of the yield curve slope is the difference between three-month and 10-year treasuries. That's another metric that's used. Now, it is still firmly inverted at minus 131 basis points, though it has recovered from the lower levels that we saw in December. So what does this all mean? Well, it appears that the bond market and the Federal Reserve are once again engaged in a tug-of-war. While the Fed heads have indicated that we're likely at the end of the rate cycle, they've given no indication that an aggressive easing of monetary policy is in the cards anytime soon. However, that's not what the market thinks, and it appears eager to see rates begin moving the other way and has already started laying down that outlook. For those of us managing community financial institution investments, what's important here is to observe what's happening, but don't let it become the foundation for your decisions. It's okay to factor market conditions and the rate environment into the process, but you don't want to lead off with a rate bet when you're preparing your investment strategy. I also have a couple of items on the Federal Reserve front that I wanted to share with you. The first is about the Bank Term Funding Program, or BTFP. The BTFP has been a key part of many community financial institution playbooks since its introduction early last year. It was created as an emergency rapid response to the challenges that the industry faced after the Silicon Valley bank failure. When the BTFP was announced... The Fed indicated that the program would be around for a year and would be evaluated for renewal at that time. Now, as we approach the anniversary date, questions have begun to bubble up and speculations started to percolate about what would the Fed do with the program? Would they renew it or would they let it sail into the sunset? Recently, we received some important clarifications about the future of the BTFP. Michael Barr, the Fed's Vice Chair for Supervision, shared some insights during a panel appearance, and the main takeaway was that the Fed has no plans to extend the BTFP beyond its one-year mark with the program expiring on March 11th. So what does this mean for institutions that have been using the program? Well, based on Barr's comments, until March 11th, you can still draw down or refinance existing BTFP advances. After March 11th, however, no new advances can be made and refinancing existing advances is off the table. Interestingly, there may be some opportunities right now for banks and credit unions. As I'm recording this episode, the BTFP rate has pulled back recently and is currently at 4.76%. Now, this rate is very attractive compared to other wholesale funding options like FHLB advances and broker deposits. Plus, you have the ability to utilize the full face value of eligible collateral versus the market value, so it may be worth taking a look. If your institution has existing BTFP advances, it will bear watching the rate for an opportunity to refinance the advance at a lower rate while extending the maturity for up to one year. But let's not forget the big picture here. After March 11th, the Fed BTFP will no longer be a tool in the liquidity toolbox. If your institution has been participating in the program, you'll want to consider how your liquidity management strategies might change in a post-BTFP world. It'll be crucial to use the time remaining to plan ahead so that you're ready when those BTFP advances finally mature. If you have any questions about the Fed BTFP or managing through this final phase of the program, please feel free to email me at chris at bondinvestmentmentor.com or drop me a message over on LinkedIn. In other Fed news, it's that time of year again when the Federal Open Market Committee membership gets a makeover. For those who need a quick refresher, the FOMC has 12 members who vote on monetary policy. The seven Federal Reserve governors, including Jerome Powell, are permanent members. And the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York is also a permanent member. Currently, that position is held by John Williams. As for the other four committee seats, they rotate annually among the presidents of the other regional Federal Reserve banks. Last year, we had the presidents of the Fed banks in Chicago, Dallas, Minneapolis, and Philadelphia serving on the FOMC. This year, that's shifted, and we now have a new lineup, which includes Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin, and San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly as voting members. So why does the FOMC membership change matter? It's because while we hear comments from all regional Fed presidents as part of the Greater Federal Reserve Dialogue, it's those who are voting members who directly influence monetary policy decisions. Their opinions and insights carry significant weight, including during FOMC meetings. So when they speak, it's crucial to pay attention and consider how their viewpoints might influence upcoming FOMC decisions. Now, this doesn't mean we ignore the non-voting members. Their insights are valuable, but in terms of the impact on monetary policy, it's the voting members who matter just a little bit more. And so I think they deserve a little more attention. And of course, when any of the seven Fed governors or the New York Fed president speaks, it's always good to pay attention since they are all permanent FOMC voting members. But as we work our way through 2024, keeping a close eye on the statements and comments from Barkin, Bostic, Daly, and Mester will be essential. Their perspectives could provide us with indicators of how the FOMC's decision-making could play out. Taking this approach is one way to prioritize and cut through the information flow, the noise, if you will, so you can determine how what's happening at the Fed might affect your investment strategies. All right, let's move on to our main topic for today. As I mentioned earlier, in the most recent episodes, I had some great conversations with friends and colleagues as we discussed things to think about for 2024. Now, with the new year underway, let's continue exploring the steps you can take as a bank or credit union investment portfolio manager to prepare for this year. Over the years, I developed a five-step process that has been instrumental in my approach to managing investments, especially at the start of each new year. The process is based on the lessons I learned and the strategies and insights that I refined over time. Today, I'm excited to share this five-step approach with you so that you can take the same steps to position yourself and your institution's portfolio for whatever opportunities and challenges lay ahead. So let's explore this five-step process. The first step won't come as a surprise to you if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. Step one is to analyze your institution's balance sheet. Before we even begin to consider what to do in the investment portfolio, you have to ask what's been going on at the balance sheet level and what is expected to happen in the coming year. The reason for this is simple. The investment portfolio is an easy-to-use and essential tool for hedging balance sheet risk. If the balance sheet has changed in any material way, it's possible the underlying risks may have shifted as well. So, taking the time to examine the balance sheet can help shape your investment thought process and decision-making. Let's start with the investment portfolio. Looking back, did you engage in any selling or selling and repurchasing activities as part of rebalancing investments? How does the portfolio look today compared with a year ago? We'll dig a little deeper regarding investments in a bit, but for now, let's move on to the loan portfolio. As you look back, what changes occurred in the last year due to loan growth and production? Did the loan mix change? For example, Have you been originating more long-term fixed loans or maybe more variable rate ones? Did you complete any loan purchase or sales activities in the past year? And if so, how might it have changed the makeup of the loan portfolio and the balance sheet? Now that we've taken a quick look back, let's consider the road ahead. What are the expectations for investments, loan growth, and total asset growth this year? You've most likely completed a budget recently. What does it show for 2024? If you're successful in hitting your balance sheet numbers this year, how does that change the overall makeup and underlying risk exposures? In the same way that you review the asset side of the balance sheet, you'll also want to assess your institution's deposit base and wholesale funding usage. Now, this certainly garnered more attention in the past year as deposit pricing and growth again became critical elements to balance sheet management. But as you look, What changes did you see with deposit or wholesale funding balances? And what are your expectations for them in 2024? As you look at what happened in the past year and review the outlook for the coming year, it's important not only to consider what changes to balances might happen, but also how any shift in the liability mix affects your institution's risk management efforts. For example, many community bankers saw depositors migrate from non-maturity deposit products like savings and money market accounts and head back into CDs for the first time in years, which makes a difference. I've touched on this briefly a couple of times, but in addition to the numbers and the story behind the numbers on the balance sheet, you'll also want to analyze your balance sheet risks and the degree to which they have or will change. How will interest rate or liquidity or credit or capital risk be affected by any changes that have occurred or are expected to do so? The answer to this question will be key in determining how your investment decision-making evolves this year. Taking this first step to evaluate the balance sheet and any recent or expected changes to balances, mix, and risks forms a solid foundation for the steps to come. It also helps you as you develop a more sound portfolio management approach. Okay now let's turn our attention to step two of the process evaluating the investment portfolio's liquidity and cash flow characteristics this is important because the investment portfolio is vital to a community financial institution's liquidity management and planning typically investments can contribute to liquidity in two ways one is through the sale of investments Unfortunately, this path is challenging for most institutions today because they face substantial unrealized losses. As a result, selling investments may not be a viable option because doing so would turn those unrealized losses into realized ones and directly affect earnings and capital. This brings us to the core of this step, structuring the investment portfolio to generate a steady and stable principal cash flow. What this means is that we're focusing on maturities and monthly amortizations. Think of it as establishing a rhythm in your portfolio's cash flow, aiming for consistency rather than peaks or valleys. We want to be sure that the portfolio is well-structured to contribute smooth, steady levels of liquidity. As we did in step one, we want to take the same backward and forward-looking approach as we evaluate liquidity. Looking back at the past year, How did the portfolio's cash flow look? Was it stable, or did it fluctuate, creating possible challenges to cash flow stability? Now, project forward. What does the cash flow from your investment portfolio look like as you look out over 2024? Is it that steady cash flow rhythm, or does the cash flow happen in fits and starts? Maybe you'll find that you have very little cash flow depending on the portfolio holdings, or it could be that the cash flow is bunched together into a few months during any given year. If you find that the portfolio's cash flow isn't as steady as you'd like, it's time to begin thinking about how to use future purchases to establish a more consistent principal cash flow. Whether it's using select bond maturities to broaden a bond ladder or adding in mortgage securities to capture their monthly principal payments, taking steps to build or maintain cash flow stability is a critical component of a well-behaved investment portfolio and a key contributor to balance sheet risk management. Something that's an important consideration here is the impact of potential changes in the interest rate environment on your portfolio's cash flow. This is especially true given the discussion and growing expectations that declining interest rates could be on the way. If rates were to fall, it would likely trigger increased principal cash flows from securities with embedded optionality, such as callable bonds and mortgage-backed securities. Not only does this upset the stability that you're working to achieve, But it also means that you have higher levels of cash coming back right as interest rates are dropping. And that's a situation that no portfolio manager wants to deal with. The purpose of step two in the process is to understand how well the investment portfolio contributes to your institution's liquidity. Taking steps to correct any cash flow gaps or instability will go a long way toward having a strategically structured portfolio that will deliver regardless of market and interest rate fluctuations. Okay, moving on to step three of our five-step preparation process. It's time to review your investment strategy. The investment strategy guides the entire decision-making process for the investment portfolio, and it's important to review it regularly to allow for any minor course corrections that might be needed. So how do you do this? Well, start with the results of steps one and two, where we reviewed the balance sheet and risk exposures and liquidity management. Make sure you evaluate any noteworthy changes or observations from that. Did you discover anything that might influence the investment strategy? Next, take a close look at any established risk parameters. These might include things like duration targets, the portfolio allocation mix, and credit guidelines. Ask yourself, given what I know now, do these parameters still work, or should I consider making some adjustments? Anytime you're reviewing the investment strategy, you also want to revisit market conditions. We're still in an unusual environment given the inverted yield curve. And now there's the possibility of the Fed easing monetary policy within the year, which would mean lower interest rates. You need to consider these factors and how they might affect your investment decisions. For example, investing in bonds beyond the short end of the yield curve right now might seem counterintuitive especially with the lower yields that they carry because of the curve inversion. But keep in mind that if interest rates decline, those longer, lower-yielding securities could become more attractive holdings in the portfolio because their rate isn't going to change. Another example would be thinking about the underlying collateral and borrower profiles for mortgage securities. What if the market were to experience a pullback in interest rates? In that case, more recent borrowers will be itching to refi their existing mortgages, and that could create higher prepayment risk in the process for investors. Taking market conditions into account provides clues as to the factors to consider, in this case, loan coupon rate and seasoning of the mortgages, and can help shape the types of mortgage-backed securities to consider for purchase. So as we wrap up step three, remember that a well-designed investment strategy is your roadmap to help navigate the investment management process. It guides your decisions, helps manage risks, and ensures alignment with your institution's overall objectives. But at the same time, it needs to be flexible and incorporate various what-if scenarios. By reviewing your strategy now, you'll be better equipped to deal with 2024's challenges and be able to potentially take advantage of opportunities. Now, if you don't have a customized investment strategy to help you with the investment management process yet, let me pause here and suggest that your first step is to do that. An investment strategy that is aligned with your institution's balance sheet, objectives, risks, and risk appetite is a powerful tool. And it's one that helped me be more effective as a portfolio manager for my bank. If you have questions about building an investment strategy or where to begin, please email me at Chris at bondinvestmentmentor.com, and I'll do what I can to help you out. The next thing to do, step four of our 2024 preparation process, is to take a look at your investment policy. I know, I could almost feel your eyes glaze over as I said that. But reviewing the investment policy, I mean really reviewing it, is a worthwhile exercise. In conjunction with the balance sheet and the investment policy, it forms a one of the foundational blocks that guides and supports the portfolio management process. But it's also a living framework, so you want to ensure it remains aligned with the institution's objectives and comfort level. What you'll want to do here is review the major parameters that your policy contains to ensure they remain relevant. You want to ask things like, have there been any recent regulatory changes that need to be incorporated? Or are there any language changes that need to be made? In working with community bankers on their policies, I sometimes find that the policy has become a collection of revisions that aren't really organized well. A change gets made, and they kind of tack it on. And then another change gets made, and they tack that on. And what we do in this case is we give the policy a makeover. We organize it, and we refine the language to make it easier to understand, implement, and communicate. A well-written investment policy provides robust guidelines for the investment management process. At the same time, you don't want it to be so cumbersome or locked down in its language that the investment process can't be managed well. That's why it's important to give it a quick look, at least annually, to be sure that it's aligned with everything else that we've covered so far in this process. All right. We've covered four of the five steps. Here we go with the home stretch. Ready? Looking back at the first four steps, you'll notice that they're all a combination of looking backward and forward. Look back to review, look forward to determine what might be happening. The last step of the portfolio preparation process is all about looking ahead. Actually, as I think about it, it's more about staying ahead. Step five is focusing on continuous learning and skill building as a portfolio manager. As you may have already figured out, staying updated and refining your skills is not just an option. It's a necessity. This means exploring new topics and keeping abreast of market trends and emerging opportunities. It's about being a lifelong learner in a world that never stands still. Over the past year or so, I know that many community bankers haven't had to do as much with their institution's investment portfolio, but that doesn't mean that you can let your skills stagnate. So instead of letting things coast, be sure to make plans in 2024 to stay on top of your investment management game. Building your skills this year can take many forms. It might involve deepening your understanding of different security types or exploring new investment strategies, learning more about balance sheet management, or strengthening your analytical abilities. And there are a lot of different ways to do this. For instance, there's this excellent podcast that I know about. Oh, wait, you're already listening, so you're set. (laughs) Anyway, whether it's through self-study, networking with others in the field, books, podcasts, investment training, or conferences and workshops, there are plenty of resources available to get you started. If you're looking for resources to help you, please check out bondinvestmentmentor.com or contact me directly and I can give you some suggestions. Something that you might find helpful is joining the Bond Investment Mentor Fixed Income Institute. This is an investment training program that I created especially for those in the community banking industry. As a member of the Fixed Income Institute, you benefit from live training sessions covering all aspects of fixed income investing and portfolio management. You'll also be able to get your investment questions answered during dedicated Q&A forums or talking with me directly. Plus, you can access an online resource library with courses, checklists, and other resources to help you boost your investment and portfolio management skills. The Fixed Income Institute is your one-stop place to get easy-to-understand objective advice and guidance. So if you're ready to gain the knowledge and skills you need to be an effective investment portfolio manager for your community financial institution, head over to bondinvestmentmentor.com forward slash Fixed Income Institute to learn more and register. That's bondinvestmentmentor.com forward slash Fixed Income Institute, all one word. So, That's the five-step process to help you prepare for 2024. To recap, step one, analyzing your institution's balance sheet. Step two, evaluating the investment portfolio's liquidity and cash flow characteristics. Step three, reviewing and refining your investment strategy. Step four, reviewing and updating your investment policy. And step five, building your investment and portfolio management skills through continuous learning. As I mentioned earlier, this is the process that I followed for many years, and doing so resulted in wins on three fronts. First, it was a win for the investment portfolio because the process contributed to its solid performance. Second, it was a win for my bank because the process ensured that the investment portfolio contributed to the institution's success. And finally, it was a win for me as I became a better skilled, more effective portfolio manager. So, Give this five-step process a try and let me know how it works for you. And if you have any questions about the process, any of the five steps, or how to develop a routine that works for you and your institution, please drop me a line at chris at bondinvestmentmentor.com or message me over on LinkedIn. Well, I'm really glad that you stopped by and I hope that you found this information helpful as you make plans for 2024. If you found value in what we covered today and you know someone that might also benefit, please share this episode with them. As I mentioned, if you have a question on anything I covered today, please email me at chris at bondinvestmentmentor.com. I enjoy hearing from listeners and would love to help you out. You can also follow me on LinkedIn where you'll find me at Christopher Nelson CFA. Well, that's going to do it for today. Bond Investment Mentor is written and produced by me, Chris Nelson. The information, views, and opinions expressed during the podcast belong solely to myself. Any ideas and strategies contained within the podcast are for educational and informational purposes only and do not constitute investment, accounting, or legal advice. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast if you haven't done so already. And please leave a rating or review through whatever podcast app or platform you use as it helps others discover and learn more about the podcast. If you're looking for more information about fixed income investing and portfolio management for community financial institutions, head over to bondinvestmentmentor.com. You'll find articles, tips, and resources to help you manage your institution's investment portfolio, and you can also learn about the ways in which I can help you become more effective as an investment portfolio manager and community banker. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good one.